Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. This week we'll be talking about the World Wide Web Consortium, or W3C, who they are, what they do, and why they are important to all of us. We'll speak with Janina Saika, chair of the W3C's Accessible Platform Architectures Working Group, about the W3C, its mission, and in particular, its work on accessibility. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Janina Saika. Well, let me tell you, you know, standards can be very dry, but you've really brought home why it's important to have them and how valuable this work is and how big of a deal it is having people from so many different stakeholders involved. Yeah, you know, it's it's amazing, but, but most of us rely on it without realizing it. For instance, electricity, that 60 cycles is really important. The voltage might vary a little bit between 110 and 120, but that 60 cycles really needs to be there or all our stuff starts to break down. Uh, you know, in countries where they don't have that kind of reliability and their electricity suffer. And even for simpler things like making sure the light bulb base is the same size as the socket you're going to screw it into, or your toilet paper holder is always the same size. So standards are very important, and the fact that they get them right most of the time means that most of us can ignore them. Exactly. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by... The Hadley Institute for the Blind and Visually Impaired, offering the 2019 New Venture Business Competition to help blind entrepreneurs turn their ideas into actual startups. More information and submission criteria are at www.hadley.edu nvc. And if you'd like to learn more about having an audio promotional item for your organization or service appear in the show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Let's start by meeting Yanina. Hi, uh, my name is Yanina. I am blind. I started out uh, life as a very low vision person. I was able to read with Coke bottle glasses all the way through my teens, uh, and that slowly went away in my 20s, uh, which kind of left me holding the bag of what to do with all of those wonderful reading and writing-based strategies that I built my life around. <laughs> One sometimes has to accommodate and make some changes as things change in your life. Indeed. Well, we're making changes at this point in the late 70s, early 80s, when computer accessibility was in its infancy. So it started out for me to, to, to look to computers. Even early on at that point, I had a gut understanding that technology should be able to help accommodate interacting with the world in a more friendly way. So I just started assuming that, hey, I'll just start using technology. And at the time, I was very active in electronic music composition. I'm a, 
uh, musician, Peter, that's how you and I met, actually, over the, the MIDI mag list, where various topics of blind people uh, doing music and audio work are discussed. So I was very actively involved at San Francisco State University when MIDI first showed up on the scene. And everybody, just, including me, everybody in the studio just assumed, oh, yeah, Yanina will start using that stuff, too. Uh, turned out it just didn't work. We couldn't plug it in. We got uh, Macintosh in there. There was software in those days called Digital Performer, Digital Composer, and there was an early Macintosh screen reader called Outspoken. It just didn't see most of the buttons and the controls and the things you needed to interact with. And how did you manage to overcome some of those challenges? I went over and started taking computer classes. I figured I'd finish that little detour and, you know, fix the problem for myself and go on with music making. Well, life is full of surprises, as we all know, and what I thought would be a short detour into computer technology turned out to a career. I still do music. I'm a music director for a small church here in Maryland. Um, love that. It, it, it feeds my soul. But uh, the, the main career thrust became why the heck all of this technology was being built in inaccessible ways. What could we do to change that? And I've been involved both on the technology side of addressing that, on the best practices guidance side, on the advocacy side, pushing for legislation, which we got quite a bit of over the last 30 years or so. And I'm still very much involved at work. Kind of, I ended up in that, uh, in the standards development sector. It sounds like you've been involved in many, many, many facets of making computers and the internet accessible. What is your day job? Well, that was my day job for a very long time. I am now semi-retired. I still do standards-related work and try to get paid for it as best I can. As an independent consultant, I do do consulting work and uh, take on a, hopefully a, kind of a melding of the two and somebody needs some aspect of accessibility supported in standards. I, I have been paid through grants for the last several years. was also the IT director for American Foundation for the Blind for a few years, uh, then also active in advocacy and in research activities at AFB and technology, before that at the World Institute on Disability. So I've been in several aspects, as you say, and actually feel, uh, you know, that that was a good life for me in many ways. I got to travel. I got to meet people. I eventually got to travel internationally, which I love doing, and I'm happy I can still do it. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 This week's focus topic is what the World Wide Web Consortium, or W3C, does to develop web standards, and in particular those regarding accessibility. So in your introduction, you talked about being involved in the creation of standards, and that's mostly what we wanted to talk about today. And in particular, we wanted to talk about your work with the W3C. For people who don't know, that's a bit of an abbreviation, right? It's exactly that. W3C stands for the World Wide Web Consortium, three W's, the consortium, there's the C. And what is their mission or major purpose? 
their major purpose is, is to develop consensus standards to make the web function better for everyone in society, regardless of ability or disability, regardless of economics, uh, regardless of connectivity speed, uh, regardless of language background, um, and to try to also promote secure uh, web interactions and also to try to promote protecting people's privacy. Uh, those last two are areas which I think uh, we have a long ways to go. We've probably done a little bit better in the W3C on accessibility, frankly, than we have with security and privacy in recent years. But all of those social kinds of goals that uh, we would want our technology to support in society, that is part of the W3C's mandate, as well as literally the, the development of the technical specifications that make the web go. So that sounds like a huge job. Can you give us an idea about the history of how this group was formed, how this group got together? Sure. W3C is pretty much the brainchild of the uh, professor who more or less invented the World Wide Web. Um, hypertexting, uh, linking one page to another. Um, his name is Tim Berners-Lee. He's a physicist at the um, advanced facility in Switzerland and France. They're on the border, CERN. He had the brilliant idea in the late 80s that we could use technology to link documents together. Um, and then, you know, the, from that we grew into having browsers and everything else kind of came out of that. And early on, uh, Tim had this vision that we needed to meet a, a whole series of goals, including all of those social obligations that I just outlined in society. So he and a few other people started the World Wide Web Consortium. Accessibility was proposed as one of the early areas, and there has been active work on uh, making web content accessible and providing standards and guidelines for that since probably about 1995-96. Wow. And when you say worldwide web, obviously you have to get lots of people to get involved in this. This truly is worldwide, and I guess you have to have contributors from countries all over the place. How does that happen? Well, we try to do that. Uh, we have had various levels of success at that. You know, the, there is really no border to technology intrinsically unless somebody starts blocking web communications, as some countries do. Um, but the invitation is open on, at W3C for participation from around the world. Um, there's a significant amount of North American participation, mostly U.S. and Canada, though not exclusively. Uh, quite a bit of European participation, quite a bit of Japanese a uh, good deal of Australia and New Zealand. Uh, I'm happy to say quite a bit from China in recent uh, years, particularly, and actually addressing issues that make the web friendly to people whose native language might not be English is one of the social areas I didn't name and probably should have named because that's one of the uh, responsibilities we try to meet, both to make sure that the specifications we develop are available in multiple languages, but also that the web can function just as well in whatever language happens to be someone's native language. 
And what is the glue that holds this together? I'm wondering if there's some kind of headquarters or leadership, what the funding mechanisms are for keeping this all together. There are kind of three headquarter agencies that help support the work of the W3C. In the U.S., it's uh, located at MIT outside of Boston in Cambridge. In France, there's a European interest. There is a university in Japan and another university in China. Those are the four kind of loci of activity. And maybe it would be good if I described how we work. Sure, that would be great to understand the structure. Yeah, we work in working groups on specific topics. And each of those working groups will communicate by email, will hold regular or maybe not so regular teleconferences so we can all talk to each other. Uh, we will have meetings in person during the year. Uh, later this year uh, in September, I will be going to Fukuoka, Japan for a week of uh, meetings of the group that I chair. And then we will have joint meetings with other working groups where we have common interests in trying to promote some specification or some technology forward. Uh, and we need to get consensus, not just among ourselves in my working group, but also get sign off uh, from others wh who have an interest in that area. And what are the name and mission of the group that you chair? I chair a group called the Accessible Platform Architectures Working Group. It's a mouthful. <laughs> usually known by our acronym APA, our mandate is kind of to overlook all of the specifications and documents being published by W3C and try to look at them early on to spot potential accessibility problems early on so we have a better chance of getting a fix in before these are finalized. So that's one of the main mandates of the APA working group. Another one is to help develop some new specifications where we identify gaps. For example, we have a group working on hopefully facilitating personalizing content for people that use augmentative and alternative communications systems, people that don't read text particularly well but might use symbols to communicate. Perhaps they don't speak. Perhaps they tap on a storyboard and some text-to-speech engine generates speech for them. Uh, we're looking at ways we might successfully transform a page into that kind of symbol technology and personalize it in that sense. That's one task force we have under APA. Another one that will be more familiar, I think, to your listeners is a spoken pronunciation task force. I mean, we've all heard our computers mispronounce the language. Uh, you'll find me at one, two, three, Maple Doctor, instead of Maple Drive, <laughs> or um, pronouncing Saint instead of Street for a city name, Street Paul, for the capital of Minnesota. That happens frequently. Not a very useful thing to have happening if you're taking a test that's going to determine whether you get to go to Harvard or somewhere else that you really want to go. So we're looking for ways that we can specify 
uh, that this word W-I-N-D needs to be pronounced wind because the topic is meteorology and not wind because we're not talking of winding a spool of thread. Well, the one I often hear is people who have tears in their eyes when they're crying. (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting visual sight. Yeah. So it really is important to get some of these accessibility guidelines correct and structured so that the web is more accessible and usable by people. Yes, I think it really makes a difference in people's lives when we're successful at this. And uh, years ago, I used to think that, you know, we could just do this and we'd be done at some point. Increasingly, I'm learning that there is more to do and there are more areas to do this in. uh, And there are yet more and more people that could be affected if we succeed. So I'm expecting to hand off at some point and say, I'm done, but there's plenty of work for the next generation coming on. Our best solutions are the ones we like to call curb cuts. We've all become familiar with those little ramps that go from the sidewalk down into the street. Uh, Some of us are old enough to remember when those didn't exist in the world. That's mostly those of us that are older. I remember. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But those were put in place for people uh, who need wheelchairs to thrive in the world. Uh, And, of course, it's not just people in wheelchairs who use them. People pushing baby carriages use them. People with shopping carts use them. Uh, We actually filmed an ad once promoting accessibility by focusing a camera at a curb cut in downtown Oakland, California. And we actually were able to film people going out of their way to use the curb cut rather than stepping up onto the curb. Yes. That was a very effective ad. Well, you know, I've often said, and I guess this is the idea of what people are calling inclusive design these days, things that are made more accessible and easy to use for me because I'm blind are often easier and more friendly to use for people who are sighted. Yeah, that's very true. Good design means good things for lots of people. Yes. That's the business case, and that's the uh, policy case we try to make, and we've been fairly successful uh, with government at making the policy case uh, in the U.S., in Canada, and in the EU, and Japan, and Australia, New Zealand in particular, have now pretty good laws on in terms of what the government produces by way of its technology, its publications, and the way you can interface with governmental services. There are mandates on learning K through 12 and also at the university level and accessible textbooks. None of this was really in place uh, 30, 40 years ago. All of it's come about in part from this kind of work. The kind of specifications that we design at W3C uh, became the basis of what made a 508 law possible for the U.S. government, for instance. It made it possible for them to say that government websites need to be accessible. You talked a little bit about how the W3C works in terms of its members meeting over the Internet and email and sometimes getting together in person. But who are these people besides you? You describe yourself as a part-time consultant. Are these people who generally work for technology companies and educational institutions, or are they employed by the W3C? Are they volunteers? Yeah, all of the above, actually. Uh, There are some employees, there are staff people at W3C, 
Every working group has a staff contact that, that helps us with the mechanics of moving our work forward particularly. Uh, there are a lot of corporate participants. Uh, Microsoft's involved, Apple's involved, Google is involved. Uh, you know, we can continue down the list. I should add, uh, nonprofits also belong and pay smaller dues. That includes universities. Do these companies contribute financially also? Yes. Mm-hmm. At, that, at that level, they buy memberships, and that helps fund the work. And that way they can have input as the standards are being developed. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes we, we need to mediate among them, you know, because somebody will have their favorite approach and they want to make it the standard for everybody else and somebody else will disagree. And Well, sure. It's like the old argument between uh, the beta format for video and the VHS, right? And the same thing happens on the web, I would guess. Yes. Yes. That happened quite a bit, actually, um, when we were working on HTML5. Uh, there it was uh, quite a lot of debate back and forth and a lot of agreement, but also a lot of disagreement. It's a very large spec. Uh, when finished, it's over a thousand pages printed out. Uh, <laughs> so you can imagine it wasn't all uh, peaches and cream. No, I'll bet there were arguments. I remember you know, years ago in Internet Explorer, Microsoft wanted to have the leading technology and the best things on the web. And, you know, other browsers weren't necessarily compatible with their content because they weren't using the same technologies. They weren't standardized. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And most recently, that has turned night and day. Uh, Google and Microsoft have decided now to use the same back end. So Microsoft Edge and Google Chrome are going to be substantively the same browser, even though they may have different names on them. Uh, Moving into the future, they're both using the Google Blink back-end technology for their browsers going forward. And that was pretty recently announced, I guess. That's very recent, yes. Mm -hmm. That can be a good thing for all of us. Uh, Yes, I think so. Um, I expect that, you know, we'll, we'll have good accessibility support in those technologies. I do worry about anybody getting too dominant in the field because its competition is really good uh, for all kinds of reasons. But uh, other than that, yeah, I do think that will make for some good browser experiences. So it sounds like your work is really never done. The web is a very changing, dynamic place, and there's always something new or some new technology, some new way of distributing information that pops up. Yes. One of the things we are getting ready for right now um, is a W3C workshop on web-based gaming, another area that we're just beginning to work on uh, is to try to do a better job of communicating uh, knowledge in specific academic-type domains. If you think about it, math could be better supported on the web than it is. Certainly chemistry could. Definitely. But even beyond those, languages uh, could be better supported. We've got fairly decent performance on some platforms and in some browser environments for multilingual content, but we can be doing better than that than we are now. Uh, so there's there's a lot that we can do still and need to work on. That's Well, we thank you for the work you and others like you put into this to make the web more accessible and usable by everybody around the world. Doing our best, and we hope people uh, 
find it actually is making a difference. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about the W3C and how to contact them and or Yanina directly. So if people want to find out more about the W3C, where would you send them? Go to www.w3.org and the accessibility area in that website would be just to add to that slash WAI, which stands for Web Accessibility Initiative. And you'll find really everything you need in there, including a pointer to the various working groups. Again, mine is APA. If you add a slash APA, you'll go to my particular working group, which will include uh, a link for sending me email. But all of the W3C accessibility activities will be located on the way page. And there's all kinds of content there. There's introductions to what accessibility means uh, because, you know, a lot of people know, but a lot of people don't. So if you want something in hand to show to people when they say, what do you mean when you say accessibility on the web? There are pointers for, you know, a, a seven-minute YouTube video on the web page. There's also guidance on how to test for it, how to develop content that's accessible, all those kinds of resources are linked on the way uh, homepage at www.w3.org. So let me just clarify. This is the second time you've said w3.org without the C? Yeah. That's correct. That is correct for the web address, yes. So if people wanted to reach you personally without going through the W3C organization and following that down, do you have a contact method that you would prefer? Sure. Email's the best. My first name, Yanina, J-A-N-I-N-A, that's two N's like Nancy, J-A-N-I-N-A, at rednote.net, just like it sounds, R-E-D-N-O-T-E, rednote.net. You said there are citizen volunteers working with the W3C. How would somebody get involved? Anyone with technical skills, we'd love to get them involved at various levels. None of us knows everything. Uh, We try to start with telling stories, user stories of, you know, X tries to do this and runs into this problem and tries to solve it like that. And gee, wouldn't it be nice if we had this solution? From that, we get to uh, requirements that a technology needs to meet in order to solve those. Uh, So it can start from very simple things. So we have a category of participants called invited experts. So anyone interested who thinks they have something to contribute, be very happy to hear from them because you don't necessarily need to be working for Apple or Google to participate in W3C work. Do you or the consortium have a social media presence? I don't particularly myself other than LinkedIn. I know that W3C is on Twitter And in case you missed any of that information in the audio, all of those resources can be found in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 1921. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about creating and using shortcuts in iOS. Using shortcuts in Apple iOS devices can make many tasks more efficient and simple to perform, 
by boiling down a string of commands into just one that's more convenient. We will speak with Anna Dressner, author of Getting the Job Done with Shortcuts, an introduction for blind users, about her book and how you can create and use your own custom shortcuts to easily perform routine tasks. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes, and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success, or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.